Hi everyone, welcome to our podcast, Breathe In, Write Out, a podcast for high school, college, and university students about making the most out of academic life. We touch on study skills, student life, career transition, overall well-being, personal development, and other topics that impact young adults. At the end of each podcast, we send our listeners off with a short guided meditation and writing prompt. We hope that through these discussions, meditations, and writing exercises, we can build an open, caring, compassionate community that supports personal growth. I'm Lisa Fow, the founder and CEO of Fow Academic Writing, where we focus on teaching young adults the communication skills necessary to reach their full potential on the page and in life. Get into a cozy spot, grab your pen and notebooks, and let's meet our first guest. This week's episode is about finding a career in the arts as a recent graduate. While jobs in the sciences are sometimes considered to be practical, an arts degree provides skills and opportunities which can be used for careers which make meaningful differences to the community. We thought it would be helpful for students to hear about the different types of careers available to Bachelor of Arts students. This week's guest is Janelle Lewis, a social worker in the Toronto area who has experienced working with those who have mental health and all mental health issues and other vulnerable populations. Over the past two years, Janelle has worked as a program resource worker within the Regent Park community, where she manages intensive cases in supportive housing and provides life skills training and interventions to those experiencing mental health struggles. She also volunteers as a volunteer outreach worker this position gives her the opportunity to engage with Toronto's homeless population by handing out food and essential items while having purposeful conversations with them. Welcome to our podcast, Breathe In, Write Out. Janelle. Hello. Hello. Um, hi, yeah. welcome to our podcast. I guess the first question that we have is, what inspired you to get into social work and typically what does social work consist of? So first of all, thank you so much for having me on this podcast. I'm excited to share some of my experiences and insight. Uh, but to answer your question, what inspired me to get into social work? There's two answers that come to mind. The first thing would be the area that I grew up in as a child. And the second thing would be coming from a working class family. So to, uh, um, so to further elaborate on my first point, of the area that I grew up in, it was predominantly an area that had a lot more crime than other parts of Toronto. And um, it was home to a lot of working class immigrant families. And at the time when I was a child, there was a shortage of social services. Now it's gotten a bit better where they have employment centers and youth centers, but growing up, there really wasn't anything like that. So for a lot of immigrant families, uh, I think that they definitely miss on a lot of opportunities just because of that lack of support. Um, so being exposed to the crime, and to just seeing how my parents struggled paying paycheck to paycheck and kind of going through it like that, it definitely made me think about my experience growing up in this type of community, but also 
um, my friends and my neighbors who are also experiencing very similar struggles. So that definitely made me think about how I could contribute in my community, but maybe also for other people who have similar experiences, who maybe be living in a high priority neighborhood like the one that I grew up in. And I'll talk a little bit more later on in the podcast how I actually volunteered um, in the community that I grew up in. The second thing I mentioned was coming from a working class family. So um, definitely just seeing my parents struggle made me think about um, what I could do for people who are also living in poverty or living in low income and just seeing how I can make a better uh, impact on them. Um, And then when you ask what is social work, so for me, it's such a broad answer because in social work, I, I would see it as a job that aims to assist and support many different populations. So one of the things I love about social work is that you can work with individuals, families, groups, communities. Um, And essentially, we're trying to enhance their well-being. We're trying to provide skills, self-development, and ultimately, we're just trying to enhance their lives. And that could mean working on a goal that they have or just helping them achieve certain things in their lives. And then also, too, because you can work with so many different populations, you can work with those who are living in poverty, those who have disabilities, mental health challenges, immigrants and refugees. So it's it's pretty broad in that sense. And for social work, I also think about advocacy, human rights, social justice, empowerment, uh, liberation and unity. So that's pretty much social work. That's how I would define (laughs) it as. It seems very broad. It is like, incredibly broad. I like that story about how you sort of got into it and that you were actually inspired by seeing people struggle around you and mm-hmm. being in this really difficult environment as a young adult. I think a lot of people could go the other direction and maybe become bitter or resentful or feel helpless so I think that's really amazing that you said you know what I want to to make it better and for the next generation or my neighbor um to have a better chance than maybe you did Mm -hmm. as a young adult Mm -hmm. um so I think that's really amazing thanks for sharing that Thank you. I appreciate what? it. So it sounds like you have a lot of, you work with a lot of different people. There's a lot of different things you can do in social work. Mm-hmm. For you, what has been the most meaningful part of your career so far? Oh, okay. So currently where I work in, in Regent Park, in, in Regent Park I, I work with um, those who experience mental health. Uh, issues. And what I find the most meaningful, I know this sounds very uh, basic, but the way that I would say it is just hearing a thank you and how I've helped them is honestly the most meaningful part of my career. Um, And I'm going to kind of elaborate a little bit on that because A lot of my residents, they experience anxiety and paranoia and just seeing where they've come at the beginning of when we started working together until a few years later and how they've developed skills and coping strategies and 
they're stabilized and they're much more independent. And sometimes I'm just saying thank you, Janelle, for helping me or for helping me try to find employment or trying to find a date activity. Yeah. Just you being super nice and just them feeling comfortable to share their vulnerabilities stories with me is the most meaningful thing. And also too, uh, when I volunteer, as an outreach worker, I work with a lot of people who experience poverty and homelessness. So mm. for them to share their story about how they got there and the struggles and, and the struggles that they're experiencing, it definitely is so meaningful for them to find some sort of comfort or trust to share that story. Yeah, that's huge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's huge. You, I, I guess every, well, I don't know how often people say thank you to you, but it must feel really great that you go to work and you know you're making a difference and you can actually see the your effort helping people changing people's lives giving them someone to to listen to their story to mm-hmm. even treat them like a person because i think a lot of people for example that struggle with homelessness um other people just kind of ignore them like if you're panhandling on the street Mm-hmm. A lot of other human beings just kind of are passing by you. So um, that's probably just you being there is uh, is huge. Yeah, definitely. And I feel that that just brings me the most joy. And it helps me wake up in the morning just knowing mm-hmm. that I'm able to make some sort of positive impact on many people's lives. And the the greatest thing about the volunteer outreach position is that we are making um, bagels, like we'll like make up different types of bagels and we'll put together bins of clothes and hygiene products, you know, essential items that a lot of people, you know, that we, I think we often just take things for granted. We think, oh yeah, like this person wouldn't need this toothbrush or this, you yeah. know, we generally need it and when you give it to them and when you have a conversation with them and they say thank you it is the most rewarding thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. wow so that must be really um it sounds like there's a lot of rewards but even just listening to this i mean it's tough to listen to and to be aware that there's people in Canada, in Toronto, a modern, wealthy, developed city that are grateful for a toothbrush, as you said, something that we take for granted. So that's, that's really hard to, um, to take in. That must be challenging for social workers sometimes. I think Lisa wanted to ask a question sure. about that. All right. Um... Yeah, it's definitely really touching to hear about the positive impact that you can make and, you know, just how much some of the small gestures matter to people. Uh, With that said, I was also wondering, I guess, especially for students who are interested in social work, um, what are some of the more challenging aspects of being a social worker that they should anticipate? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question because... Um, there's definitely a lot of challenges. I mean, within the social work profession, it can be a very heavy and emotional job just because we're experiencing a lot of stressful, traumatic situations. And the three challenges that I would say 
personally that I experience on a daily basis, number one would be taking my work home with me. Um, I've gotten a lot better at this where I say, okay, if I end at five o'clock, that's it. I'm going to be in the present moment and I'm going to go home. But sometimes I do hear some very difficult stories and I'm a very sensitive person. So after hearing some difficult stuff or just maybe seeing a crisis that um, that I was assisting with and going home with that, I just sometimes need time to like reflect about what happened. Yeah. um, It's really, really difficult sometimes to not take it home. But I think when you take it home with you, it's also, it's, it's really important to bring about self-care and self-love. So oftentimes when I'm home, I say, okay, so that happened. I know I did the best that I can, but now I have to do things that make me feel good or bring me joy. So that could be yeah. like cooking or going for a walk just to kind of clear my headspace. Um, the second challenge that I would say is wanting to do more. When yeah. I see that people are experiencing homelessness, they don't have a home, they're cold, you know, yeah. they're, they're trying to make ends meet. When I see um, even some of my residents who are older adults and their family doesn't come by very often mm. and they feel isolated, I, I, I want to do more. I wish I could provide housing. I wish I could spend a little extra more time with my residents who are experiencing isolation. But at the same time, I have to remind myself that sometimes you can only do so much and sometimes it's not just you. It's something that the government has to change or people have to change and you can still spend maybe an hour with this older adult who is lonely and you know that may only be the time that you have but at least you still gave that time so you can say you know you really tried your best and then the third thing that i would say is accepting that some things are just out of my control and all that i can do is show my support and try my best so what i mean by that is for example if a resident wants to apply for housing but as we all know there's typically a wait list and the housing can take up to years so after wow. we've been, yeah it can take up a like years like in my agency it's seven to ten years what yeah it's it's how do you not like die <laughs> well, well, well this is the thing with my agency once you secure housing there you can stay there for as long as you like i know but seven to ten years like that is a long time with housing insecurity definitely like, anxiety i know wow. especially if you're homeless it's really difficult um but sometimes I just have to accept that some things are out of my control. I can make the wait list shorter. If I could, then I would. We've already sent out the application. So all that we can do is wait. And sometimes the residents, they're very anxious, like, like you said, Mm -hmm. because they, they want to, you know, start their life. They want to start this new chapter, but there's this hurry. And so I, I often would say a challenge for me is like accepting that Janelle, I've done the best I can. I can look at different avenues and see the different options. But for now, I know that we sent out that application. That's the best that we can do. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That, yeah, that would be hard. That, mm-hmm. that would be frustrating. I mean, it sounds like, 
you you're having to learn a lot of key things that are important for any human being but in a kind of more heightened environment like mm -hmm. the first one you're kind of talking about self-care the second one it seems like boundaries are really important and the third one is just kind of letting go yeah like knowing what you can control and what you can't and focusing on what you can do those are huge those are huge things i think everybody needs to learn but you're kind of in like yeah <laughs> you're in a steep curve you gotta learn it right away yeah wow. <laughs> so on that note if someone was a student so for example like Lisa M, she studied psychology. Some people who study psychology might go over into um, social work. What, what kind of things would someone just coming out of school or in their final year of undergrad who are not necessarily doing a social work degree, mm -hmm. but maybe something relatable or thinking about social work in the future, what qualities do you think make a good social worker like mm -hmm. how could they kind of help to uh, think about that and maybe decide you know what this is for me or this is this is not for me yeah the i really like this question because i think that each job requires like a certain type of person and their skills and qualities and I definitely think that social work is not for everybody. Um, the qualities that first come to mind is you have to have a kind heart. And what I mean by kind heart is to be polite and respectful to others, that you're respectful of different cultures, beliefs, religions, and perspectives, and also respectful of people's abilities and opinions. Um, and I think just having a big heart goes a long way because you really don't know what people are experiencing. So if you're nice and um, very polite to people, I think that a lot of people gravitate towards you. Another thing is to but be... Is that the same as having a kind heart, being nice and polite? Because that seems different to me. Oh, um... I don't know. I guess I guess that was the first thing that came to my mind, but also I guess being like generous. <laughs> yeah. I just I I don't like the word nice. That's why <laughs> that's why oh. I kind of like glommed on to that. Oh, okay. Cuz there is like some discussion and I believe this. There's something be, there's a difference between being nice mm -hmm. and being kind. And being nice is saying what people want and agreeing to things but being kind actually requires sometimes saying no mm -hmm. but in a gentle way mm -hmm. definitely definitely so, anyway <laughs> that's a really good point um another thing that i would say would be to be a people person mm -hmm. um, you have to love to be around people because they're definitely going there's groups of people and individuals who are going to want to talk to you for a very very long time so yeah. just wanting to engage with people and also while you're engaging with people you have to actively listen and provide mm -hmm. empathy so if you are a person who is empathetic and can listen to challenges and struggles and injustices for sure and to also have a positive off and optimistic 
perspective. I think within the field of social work, you're going to hear a lot of stories that are just ultimately very difficult, but it's, and sometimes the person that you're talking to, they're in that mindset because they've been in that mindset for years and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's how they're feeling. What, what do you mean? What mindset? Um, like, for example, if you're speaking with someone who is homeless and they're saying, you know, I'm, I've been waiting so long to find housing. This is taking forever. Like, I really don't right. like this situation. Um, I'm not saying, you know, go in there and say, no, you're going to find housing tomorrow. Definitely not like <laughs> that. But squad gear. Sorry. <laughs> Nothing. Oh. I was just imagining like a cheer, a cheerleader for housing. Yeah. That would go well. And I, I don't, bombs. yeah, I don't mean it like that because obviously that may not happen, but at least to, to tell the person, you know, like you've, you've been out here for a really long time. You are, are, you're a survivor, you have great skills, you're hopefully you're going to find housing soon. That's, that's a different type of perspective. It's, it's yeah. I mean, you're acknowledging where you're acknowledging the reality mm -hmm. in that statement, but you're still also offering a hopeful future. Exactly. Exactly. And the last quality I would say is critical thinking because you're definitely mm. put into situations where you may have thought it would have gone this way, but then something happens and then you're like, oh goodness, no, <laughs> that's, that's not what I expected. I have to change around how I can assist this person and then maybe also think about how your day might be kind of thrown off because yeah. of this situation. So you really have to think critically and see like what is the best way and the safest way that we can support this person. Huh. So you, you got to be a little bit flexible, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely have to be flexible um, because you just never know what can happen. A crisis can happen at any time. So you have right. to drop whatever you're working on to assist that person who's in that crisis and sometimes the person may be saying something to you that you don't agree with so you have to kind of understand where they're coming from and then also think critically like how can I help this person during this time mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. wow so I before we move on to our next question related to this I just had a side question because Yesterday, we were doing a podcast um, with a quiet confidence coach, Ferris, and he's an expert on introverts. And when you were talking about you have to be good with people, you have to be empathetic, you have to be an active listener, I was just curious, would you identify yourself as an introvert or an extrovert, or maybe you don't identify with either of those? Mm. I would say that I'm more so an extroverted person, but I think the older I get, the more I'm shifting a little bit more towards introverted. There's definitely times that I love to be around people. The majority of the time I love to be around people and I have no problem introducing myself, but there are times like, let's say after work, when I've spoken to a lot of people, I just want to be by myself and in my own thoughts. And so having a really quiet space for me to be by myself is something I'm really thriving on. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I think when you're a bit of both, I think it's called 
and, and the hurt. Yeah. Yeah, because the, the empathetic active listening is actually a quality of introverts. Oh, but then the, being very social and being kind of energized by people is a quality of extroverts. So yes. I'm kind of curious. So it sounds like it would, doesn't matter, man. As long as you you uh, do what you need to restore your energy, depending mm -hmm. on your personality. Mm -hmm. I think um, from what was discussed so far, it sounds like possibly people with different personality types can become social workers. Um, I was also thinking about the process of becoming a social worker, I guess first wondering what that was like for you and also perhaps some of your colleagues, like does everyone have like a similar trajectory and like educational background or are there people from different fields that eventually do social work? Yeah, I think everyone has, there's so many different ways of becoming a registered social worker. Um, so I'll first go based on my experience. So after high school, I attended George Brown College for the social service worker program, which is a two year program. And the reason why I decided to go to George Brown College rather than university is because I wasn't exactly sure whether social work was the career I wanted to go into. And I felt that it was very daunting and scary committing four years into a degree that I wasn't exactly sure about. And it made me feel better knowing at George Brown College that they provide placement for both years. So I just figured with the placement and also in class theory experience that I would have a better idea as to whether I wanted, I wanted to become a social worker. So once I graduated from George Brown, I transferred to York and I did a double major. So I double majored in sociology and social work. And if you have your bachelor's in social work, you can stop there and you're asked to sign up as a registered social worker um, and that just kind of lets places that you've applied to know that you've completed school and you've registered with the social workers um, but then sometimes people they want to continue their education so for me I'm going back to school for my master's in social work so sometimes people they do that and then sometimes they might also do a, a PhD and then there's also some people um, like, let's say, uh, Lisa M, you have a background in psychology. If you wanted to become a social worker, you can actually apply for your bachelor's or for your master's, and um, they would take off some credits because you've already done your psychology. Um, but then after that, once you've graduated from your bachelor's or from your master's, then you would register as a social worker. And then there's sometimes some people, um, if they haven't completed their bachelor's in social work, but like let's say they did psychology, they can go to a program, a, a college program. There's like a mental health and addictions program that Humber and Centennial offer. It's a one-year program. It has in-class experience and placement. And that's a little bit more specific because you would be learning about working with people who have mental health and addictions. But um, I've noticed that a lot of people do that. They probably finished in a degree that wasn't social work, and then they um, and then they did they decided to do the mental health and addictions program. And after that, they can find a job working with those who have mental health. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, that's really helpful to know. I actually didn't know about um, how credits could be transferred. I was wanting to ask um, on behalf of students who are currently still in school, uh, perhaps not in like a social work program, but who wanted to go into social work or pursue like a program after graduation. Mm -hmm. Is there anything they could do while they were still in school to prepare for that? Oh yeah, definitely. So if anyone was interested in getting into social work, um, I would definitely uh, I would definitely try to volunteer. I know sometimes time can be really difficult because sometimes when you have your own full-time job and your own personal life, it's really difficult to volunteer. But I would highly suggest it just because that gives you a good idea as to whether you would like to pursue something similar or if you can at least see yourself passionate about something. So for example, um, when I was out of my bachelor's, so I graduated from York with my bachelor's in social work and I wanted to volunteer. So I decided to volunteer for an agency in the community that I used to grow up in and it was a youth uh, agency and I basically facilitated to young girls ages of 13 and I would facilitate presentations on self-esteem and um, how to get ready for high school and so that really just gave me the skills uh, to help me for the future definitely because I would be presenting and I got to work on teamwork and I got to elaborate and share issues social issues and also just work on um, uh, on the young girls issues like whatever they are experiencing so I would definitely say that you learn a lot of skills but you learn so many different types of uh, job positions and see whatever works well for you but also I think it's important to reflect and sit down and just see what you like what can you see yourself doing in the future what makes you passionate and um, are you interested in social justice? If you are, maybe you read up a little bit more about that to kind of give you a better idea. Cool. Good idea. Yeah, I think practical learning is um, the way to go to figure out if, what you want to do with your kind of life. Like I always was teaching people. Mm -hmm. I didn't think it was really a job I would do. Um, but I kind of having done that over the years realized oh wait a minute like I'm pretty good at this I enjoy it so I, I really like that advice of putting yourself out there and trying different things in that area and seeing if that's something you want to do and it probably also gives you the opportunity to talk to people who are currently social workers when you're volunteering right Definitely. yeah mm -hmm. so since you're um in the housing sector mm -hmm. and that's something that a lot of students also struggle with sometimes they might have issues with roommates they might be new to the city it's hard to find housing something might have happened and they have to find housing all of a sudden in an emergency what kind of local sources related to housing do you know about that you might be able to recommend mm -hmm. so I would say that if someone's having conflict or if they have to move out and are trying to find housing um, I know that there's a lot of 
sites like if you google in depending wherever you want to go but like let's say downtown toronto if you were to google downtown housing sometimes they have it specifically for students and then you can find and you can see if they have sublets if you want to rent out your own space if you want it furnished or unfurnished and then there's also when i was at least on facebook recently they have um they have also a bunch of places for students specifically for them in Toronto anywhere. So I would also recommend searching that up on Facebook or on the websites. And then they also, um, for certain schools, like I know for York and for U of T and Ryerson, they have certain um, streets or like certain buildings that are specifically for the students. So I think also going on the university websites and seeing uh, what they offer can also be helpful. And yeah, I would say good luck because I know that housing in Toronto can be really difficult, um, but just keep trying. I'm sure there'll be something out there for you. <laughs> yeah, and if they really got in trouble, do you know of any organizations for young adults or students mm-hmm. in Toronto or it's really just kind of like Google? So unfortunately, I don't know of a specific organization, but I do know um, just because even some of the people that I work with, they've used this site. It's Advocacy Center for Tenants Ontario. Um, It's a 1866 number, but if you do Google it, you can get that. And that um, you can speak with somebody about the issues that you've been having. And then there's also on Ontario.ca, if you type in renting in Ontario your rights, you can see um, your your rights and if you have any issues with your lease or with your landlord, anything like that, you can maybe find some information. But I would say the Advocacy Center for Tenants Ontario is a good place to start. Okay, great. Um, I guess wrapping up with just our last question that we have for you. So um, I heard from Lisa P that you were going to go back to school in the fall and I was just wondering how you're preparing for that and I guess some of the thoughts. Yeah so overall I am quite anxious but I'm also very happy and grateful to be ter- to be returning back to school especially getting my master's because it is a huge achievement. Um, I haven't been in school since 2016, so I haven't written a paper, an academic paper, (laughs) in a really long time, but the way that I'm preparing is actually working with Lisa P at the Fowl Writing Center, so I've been working with her and will be for the next few weeks just on my writing and see how I can uh, work on my bibliographies and my writing skills better prepare me for school. Um, But other than that, I've also just been reading articles on social issues and just trying to keep up to date with what's going on in our current world. We have a lot of social issues going on. So I've just been trying to educate myself by reading websites and going on YouTube and just uh, hearing people's different opinions and lived experiences. So hopefully that will help me out in the fall. (laughs) Thanks for the plug. (laughs) <laughs> no. uh, I, I know you said earlier today that you're not really on Twitter and um, I would recommend Twitter if you're if you really want I mean some of it's like not the greatest but mm-hmm. a lot of people getting into discussions about social issues on Twitter and sharing 
videos or news stories. You can follow professors. So I, it's, it's really good for that. If you kind of want to see like, what are people talking about? What's going on in mm -hmm. Toronto, in the world? It's really good for news. That's really helpful. Thank you. Um, yeah, thank you, Janelle, for coming on to our podcast today and sharing all this great information with our listeners. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. And is there some place that people can find out more about you? Like, what if we had a student who was thinking of social work and they wanted to talk to a social worker? Would you be willing to speak with them or how, how would someone find out about you? Yeah, they definitely can. Um, Lisa P, I know that you have my contact info. So if you do know a student who would like to ask me questions about social work for sure, um, please give me the heads up and then I can try to connect with them and answer their questions. Okay. So for anyone interested in that, you can send me an email and I will connect you with Janelle. And maybe she'll set up a Twitter account in the future. <laughs> maybe. We'll see. Thanks so much for talking with us. I learned a lot of stuff about social work I didn't know. And I think my favorite part was when you talked about the three challenges. Mm. I think that was really useful. Glad to hear. breathing meditation, you will focus on your breath. This will calm your mind and relax your body. There is no right or wrong way to meditate. Whatever you experience during breathing meditation is right for you. Don't try to make anything happen, just observe. Begin by finding a comfortable position, but one in which you will not fall asleep. Sitting on the floor with your legs crossed is a good position to try. Close your eyes or focus on one spot in the room. Roll your shoulders slowly forward and then slowly back. Lean your head from side to side, lowering your left ear towards your left shoulder and then your right ear toward your right shoulder. Relax your muscles. Your body will continue to relax as you meditate. Observe your breathing. Notice how your breath flows in and out. Make no effort to change your breathing in any way. Simply notice how your body breathes. Your body knows how much air it needs. Sit quietly, seeing in your mind's eye your breath flowing gently in and out of your body. When your attention wanders, as it will, just focus back again on your breathing. Notice any stray thoughts, but don't dwell on them. Simply let the thoughts pass. See how your breath continues to flow, deeply, calmly. Notice the stages of a complete breath. From the in-breath, to the pause that follows, the exhale, and the pause before taking another breath. See the slight breaks between each breath. Feel the air entering through your nose 
Picture the breath flowing through the cavities in your sinuses and then down to your lungs. As thoughts intrude, allow them to pass and return your attention to your breathing. See the air inside your body after you inhale, filling your body gently. Notice how the space inside your lungs becomes smaller after you exhale and the air leaves your body. Feel your chest and stomach gently rise and fall with each breath. Now as you inhale, count silently. One. As you exhale, count. One. Wait for the next breath and count again. One. Exhale. One. Inhale. One. Exhale. One. Continue to count each inhalation and exhalation as one. Notice how your body feels. See how calm and gentle your breathing is and how relaxed your body feels. Now it is time to gently reawaken your body and mind. Keeping your eyes closed, notice the sounds around you, feel the floor beneath you, feel the clothes against your body, wiggle your fingers and toes, shrug your shoulders, open your eyes and remain sitting for a few moments longer Straighten out your legs and stretch your arms and legs gently. Sit for a few moments more, enjoying how relaxed you feel and experiencing your body reawaken and your mind returning to its usual level of alertness. Slowly return to standing position and continue with the rest of your day feeling re-energized. Hi everyone, thanks so much for listening to our interview with Janelle Lewis, who is a social worker in Toronto, and I hope you enjoyed the meditation with Lisa. I hope that everyone is feeling grounded, you've taken out your journal and your pen, and you're ready for some writing. So this week, the inspiration for my writing prompt is a novel called The Lemon Tree by Sandy Tolan, and this is a book about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. It's about homeland, friendship, and the aftermath of war. Even though the story in this novel is a far stretch from the reality of many students living in Toronto, Canada is a place for many refugees. And many people who seek out social workers have been through some traumatic experience, whether it's a war, whether it's losing their housing, whether they're dealing with mental illness that could be a reason for seeking out social support so i don't know i it's a stretch but that was kind of my inspiration for this book um and also because i mean i think it really just talks about home and that's something that janelle deals with a lot she works in an organization that helps people to secure housing. So that was kind of what was behind the theme there. And not having a home and, and, and the uncertainty around having a place to live can cause a lot of stress. And that is something 
that students may face, especially if it's their first time moving away from home and being on their own. So for those of you who haven't read the book, at the beginning of the book, the main character Bashir is searching for his childhood home. When he comes upon a place that looks familiar to him, he hears a voice inside of him say, this is your home. I personally find that my environment has a big impact on how I feel, and in turn, how I perform at work or school. Many of my students have found themselves moving throughout the year due to housing issues that could have been avoided if a little more care had been taken in choosing their residence before the term began. So I have a series of writing reflections to help you to identify what you need in a living space. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to ask you three questions. And I want you to take a moment to write and reflect on those questions. And as I say every time, you can pause the podcast and do your writing. You can listen to the whole thing and do it all at once at the end. It's totally up to you. The first question I want you to reflect on is, take a moment to reflect on a place that felt like home for you. It could be your childhood home. It might be your grandparents' home might be a friend's home. And I want you to write down some of the qualities that made that place feel like a home to you. What makes a place feel like a home to you? My second question is, take a moment to think of a place that made you feel very uncomfortable and that you didn't want to stay at. Somewhere you really wanted to get out of, like the moment you stepped into it. I want you to write down a few aspects that made that environment unpleasant. Now that you've thought about what makes something feel like a home to you and what feels really unpleasant to you, I want you to imagine your dream space and write down a list of 10 things you need in that dream space, your upcoming home, and five things that are deal breakers. So 10 must-haves and five things that if they're there, even if you have seven of the 10 must-haves, you're out. So for me, something I must have is light because I love plants. So I need a place with a lot of windows. Something that would be a deal breaker for me is bugs. If I see any kind of bugs, I'm out. So think about what are your must-haves and what are your deal breakers. Okay, now that you've done that, I want you to make this list even shorter. So I want you to cut it in half. What are your, from your 10, cut down the top five must-haves and from your deal breakers, cut down to two. After you've done that exercise, you're ready to start your house hunt. So this is for all students starting the year. You're going out, you're looking for new housing. Um, maybe you're switching your roommates. Think about these things and start your journey. A couple other things you might wanna think about when you're starting your search is what is your deadline? What's your budget? Do you need a roommate? How are you gonna find them and what kind of qualities are you looking for? With these questions in mind and 
your ideas of your dream space with your five must-haves and your two, two deal breakers, I want you now to write down three steps you can take between now and the time you want to find your new home to make this happen. So one step could be very simple. If you're looking for a roommate, post an ad on Kijiji. Or maybe you know a neighborhood you'd like to live in, go visit it and look for, for rent signs. Write down those three steps, give yourself a deadline, and start your housing search. I just want to thank everyone for listening to our podcast today. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out to us. If you want to find out more about FAO Academic Writing, you can check out our website at www.fao.ca or follow us on social media at FAO underscore academic writing. If you need any extra support with your academic studies or writing skills, send us a message anytime. We look forward to helping you reach your full potential on the page and in life.